millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast and um, as I might have mentioned earlier on today, I'm looking at Sean McMeekin's brilliant new book, Stalin's War. Now, I'm <clears throat> just recovering from Covid so uh, I might have a bit of a cough. Um, I'll try not to let that inconvenience us too much. But the reason why I like the look of this book is because... So much of our understanding of the Second World War is from a kind of like um, an an Anglosphere perspective. It is the the war of Britain and America against Nazi Germany. And of course, this is such a, a, a limited way of perceiving it. Um, the the idea that it was our war and not a series of overlapping conflicts is, of course, a, an, another um, misconception. Um, and McMeekin points out in, in this new book that, of course, Stalin was the the survivor of the war uh, and, the in, in fact, the great beneficiary of the war. 
um, and his imprint upon Eastern Europe lasted far longer than Hitler's ever did. So um, what we're going to do is look at the prologue. So hopefully with this book, I'm going to have the scope to really dive into it uh, over the months, in much the way I've done with things like um, Everyday Stalinism by Sheila Fitzpatrick. Um uh, and really kind of explore um, the, the, the depths of Sean McMeekin's argument. Um, but here we, we look at um, a moment on, in May 1941, just before Barbarossa, um, where Stalin takes a kind of a profound change of tack um, whilst at a meeting. Um, but let's, let's dive into it. So, uh, Sean McMeekin writes, The night started out innocuously enough. Addressing an elite audience of 2,000 military academy graduates in the Andreevsky Hall in Moscow, in the Moscow Kremlin, flanked by party luminaries and the, the Secretary of the Communist International, Joseph Stalin proposed a toast to the executive personnel of the academies, to the chief officers and to the professors for bridging the gap in teaching modern equipment. There followed a predict predictable bromides about the formidable Red Army, um, male fist of the global proletariat. Stalin recalled the crushing Soviet victories over Japanese Kwangtung army in Manchuria in August 1939, triumphs now embodied in the world-altering Soviet-Japanese neutrality pact, which he had signed just three weeks earlier, whilst glossing over the Red Army's less glorious performance in the Finnish War of 1939-40, a struggle that had at least taught bitter lessons about modern warfare. Since the Soviet Finnish War, Stalin noted the USSR had reconstructed our army and armed it with modern military equipment. The Red Army had grown from 120 to more than 300 divisions, um, of which one third, he noted with pride, were now mechanised. Soviet armoured vehicles, he uh, too, had changed their appearance. Easily blown up in 1939 by the Finns' Molotov cocktails, Soviet tanks were now stouter, with armour three or five times thicker, Stalin said. Heavy Soviet KVs and medium-weight models like the T-34 tank, uh, Stalin pointed out, were tanks of the first line, which could break through the front. Soviet artillery, he observed further, had been transformed with more cannon and fewer howitzers. The Red Army, unlike 1939 or 1940, had ample stocks of anti-tank and anti-aircraft guns capable of firing shells up to 1,000 metres per second. As for aviation, the Red Air Fleet had been thoroughly modernised in the last two years, with the speed of Soviet fighters rising from an average of 400 to 500 kilometres per hour, um, or to 600 or 650 kilometres per hour. Um, for newer uh, I-15, I-16 and I-153 Chaika planes and state-of-the-art MiG-3 fighters. The Air Force had light Soviet bombers designed for attack and for close infantry support during an offensive. In case of war, Stalin vowed, these warplanes will be deployed first line. Stalin admitted that the German Wehrmacht was um, dizzy with success after Hitler's heady triumphs over Poland in 1939, France and the Low Countries in the spring of 1940, and over the British forces everywhere from Norway and Belgium to more recently Libya and Greece. Even so, Stalin scoffed, there is nothing special about the German army with regard to its tanks, artillery or air force. German tanks, Stalin noted, were, inf were inferior to the new Soviet models in both armour and striking power. The vaunted German Luftwaffe 
Moreover, had not only failed to knock out the Royal, the Royal Air Force during the Battle of Britain in 1940, but was now being overtaken even by the Americans, who were turning out superior warplanes despite not being at war. The very successes of the Wehrmacht, Stalin argued, were breeding complacency as the German High Command had lost its taste for further improvements in military technology. No matter how good the Germans were, Stalin thundered with a note of defiance, there is not now and never has been an invincible army in the world. Interesting as Stalin's soliloquy on the Soviet military technology might have been to foreign military attaches who were not allowed in the room, it was old hat to the academy graduates who'd heard much of it before. Still, it was an impressive performance. Stalin spoke without notes for 40 minutes before concluding with rousing toasts to the health of the Red Army tank crews, aviators, artillerymen and modern infantry. It was a fantastic speech, wrote a government note-taker in his diary, which radiated confidence in our military people, in our strength, in dis um, and, and dispersed the aura of glory that enveloped the German army. Satisfied, Stalin yielded the floor to his host, the Frunz Military Academy, uh, the head of the Frunz Military Academy, Lieutenant General M. S. Kozin. What transpired next was so dramatic, so unexpected, that no one present ever forgot it. Kozin, parroting the Pravda propaganda line of the day, saluted Stalin for the success of his peace policy, which had kept the Soviet Union out of the capitalist war raging in Europe and Asia. Before he could finish his platitudes, Stalin leapt to his feet, cut, up the, cut off the poor Lieutenant General, and reproached him for pushing out an out-of-date policy. Stalin then moderated his tone, reassuring the officers and party bosses present that the Soviet peace policy, a thinly veiled allusion to the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, signed with Nazi Germany in August 1939, had indeed bought the Red Army time to modernise and rearm, while also allowing the USSR to push forward in the West and North, increasing its population by 13 millions in the process. But... The days of peaceful absorption of new territory, Stalin stated forthrightly, had come to an end. Not another foot of ground can be gained with such peaceful sentiments. So, here we have, on the eve of Operation Barbarossa, after roughly two years of Molotov-Ribbentrop Europe, as Timothy Snyder refers to it, we have Stalin saying that the policies that have guided the USSR so far are effectively over. And it's naive to assume anything else. And it's naive to imagine that the USSR can continue to expand its territory or grow, its, uh, or, or grow in any way without war. And this has... Um, this really starts to reshape where we see uh, Stalin um, mentally um, and his regime ideologically as being in that period between the signing of the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact and the um, beginning of Operation Barbarossa. Often I've talked on this podcast about Stalin's uh, ideas for the conquest of Eastern Europe, which were well developed even during the, the darkest days of German advances against Leningrad, Moscow and, and Kiev. 
So even, and, and uh, obviously Stalingrad, even during that period, up until uh, long before the defeat of the Germans at Stalingrad, St Stalin had a, a, a clearly mapped out vision of the conquest of Eastern Europe and other territories besides. The Red Army, Stalin told its future commanders, must get used to the idea that the era of the peace policy is at an end and the era of widening the socialist front by, uh, by force has begun. Anyone who failed to recognise the necessity of offensive action, Stalin admonished, was bo a bourgeois and a fool. The defensive doctrine that had animated strategic planning and wargaming for European conflict prior to 1941, he explained, was appropriate only for a weak, unprepared Red Army. So what he's saying is the Red Army is actually ready for war, ready for a war of conquest and re ready to fulfil some kind of bigger historical uh, role, historical duty. Um, Stalin had hoped that the war in Europe would have been would have dragged out like the First World War. Um, much of the assumptions about international relations, about the functioning of states, about the possibility of revolution, was drawn from the First World War. Um, and the idea that the First World War had led to at least one uh, successful revolution and two or three further abortive revolutions in places like Hungary and Germany, particularly Bavaria. And, so, and that a further war between the capitalist powers, because all of this is, obviously, Stalin sees everything from the perspective of Marxist-Leninism, that he that war represents this crisis, this essential civil war within capitalism. Um, what, Mar what Stalin believed he was looking at was the older imperialist capitalist states like Britain and France waging war uh, against the newer ones, where, like Germany. And um, at this point, obviously, America hasn't joined the war. This would have kind of confused the picture further. But uh, the, the uh, uh, but America uh, hedging its bets and, and backing the the more democratic capitalist states. So that's what Stalin sees in Europe. And Stalin is shocked and kind of outraged that the war doesn't last more than in in Europe uh, more than a couple of months. Um, Stalin had, had hoped that the French would hold out for six months or more, but they don't do. Obviously, they, they capitulated in about six weeks. And the uh, Stalin, um, for for Stalin, this kind of throws here this the strategic vision that he has, i.e., once both sides are exhausted, um, advancing westwards and 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 conquering. Uh, capitalist Europe as a series of revolutions inevitably break out. The defensive doctrine that had animated strategic planning and wargaming for European conflict, he explained, was appropriate only for a weak and prepared Red Army, but today, now, the Tsar Army has been thoroughly reconstructed, fully outfitted for fighting a modern war. Now that we are strong, now that we, uh, now we must shift from defensive to offensive. The transformation was not merely material, but philosophical, a policy shift that would require the Red Army's officers and political commissars to transform our training, our propaganda, our agitation, the imprinting of an offensive mentality on our spirit. 
Issuing a veiled threat to Hitler, what his erstwhile alliance partner in Berlin, Stalin declared that the time had come to put an end, once and for all, to the adulation of the German Wehrmacht. There's going to be war, he vowed. According to some witnesses, he stated explicitly that the enemy will be Germany. Warming to his theme, Stalin compared the USSR to a rapacious predator. Coiled, intense anticipation, waiting for the chance to ambush its prey. And that day, Stalin concluded, was not far away. Showing to meant business, Stalin left the shadows from which he usually operated and assumed the presidency of the Council of People's Commissars on May the 6th, replacing Vyacheslav Molotov as the USSR's head of state for the first time. From this moment forward, all responsibility for Soviet foreign policy, for peace or war, or victory or defeat, lay in Stalin's hands alone, and the time for subterfuge was over. War was imminent. Okay, so this is problematic, because this starts to blow apart many of the, the assumptions that we, I say we, I even have had um, about the um the, the the kind of the the process of um war between nazi germany and the soviet union stalin um we have lots of reports is uh, bewildered by operation barbarossa in denial refuses to believe it has a um uh, some sort of breakdown. Now, Sean McMeekin, in the introduction to this book, uh, is, says he will argue, and I can't wait to get to the bit, that the idea of, of Stalin's nervous breakdown after the um, uh, the announcement of Operation Barbarossa, after uh, the, the Western Soviet Union is attacked, he says that this is a myth. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But I guess we, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves slightly. So the the, the picture that Sean McMeekin is, is painting here of a, 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 a Soviet dictator 
who is prepared for a kind of a, a proactive war um, based on the, the, the kind of the, the revolutionary principles of, of 1917 that, um, well, if, if we go back and look at that, uh, that the Soviet Union would, would never have been able to sustain itself staying behind its own borders and the, the, the revolution itself was meant to spread. The, the only way that anything can, uh, can function um, is by the revolution itself spreading to industrial countries like Germany, which in, in Marxist um, analysis was where the revolution should always have begun anyway. Um, the the point of the Red Army, um, uh, particularly the, the, as when it kind of invaded uh, Poland in 1920 and was eventually defeated at the gates of Warsaw, the the purpose of the Red Army was you know was to be the kind of the uh, the, the spreader of revolution by other means. Of course, anywhere occupied by the Red Army um, had uh, Soviet-style social tra transformations uh, imposed on it, i.e. the landlords being uh, or the bourgeoisie being arrested and the landlords uh, being deported and, and, and that sort of thing and uh, this happened in parts of Poland and, and, and the Baltic states the there was this was it was anticipated that the Red Army would continue this role um, during uh, and uh, during the Second World War and that the Second World War once again presented to the Soviet Union a historic opportunity to push forward the um, the, the, the Marxist-Leninist revolution, um, and that um, the power, the, the crisis of uh, of capitalism that the war represented, uh, was therefore an opportunity for um, the Soviet Union to fill its historic role. Um, of course, thrown into all of that are Stalin's own strategic and economic calculations that what the Red Army, what the Soviet Union also needs to do is conquer territories and capture resources. Um, and he was very mindful of the fact that building an empire uh, and using the, the tools available um, the Red Army he believed would be would function. It turns out it doesn't function uh, at all in the first few hours of, of Barbarossa. But this would be his, his means of acquiring territories and acquiring um, resources. So this book, and this is why I think it's going to be good fun, is going to turn much of what we think on its head. Um, so I think it's going to be quite a, quite a challenging read. Um, the, the first thing that we're going to do with this is look at the, the that kind of period um, of, uh, even before the signing of the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, that period from the Munich Agreement all the way up to the commencement of hostilities in uh, 1939. Um, and so... I think one thing we, we can explore here, and I think it's important to explore, is the, the fact that the tensions that um, emerge in 1945, at the end of the Second World War, have much, much um, longer roots. I mean, the, Tony Judd argued always that um, the, the tensions 
um, that emerged in 1945 had be, had been created in 1917. Uh, some historians say, well, no, they're, they're, this goes back even further, and is, there is this sort of uh, long-standing suspicion uh, between uh, Russia and the West that goes goes back um, uh, at least until the the 18th century. But anyway, that, that we get we get sort of ahead of ourselves there slightly. But the um, interwar years, particularly the, the late 1930s, um, create many of the dynamics that are frozen as a result of the Second World War, this sh um, short-lived period of East-West uh, quasi-cooperation, um, where there's always a, certain implicit threats throughout that period of time as well, that uh, if, if Stalin decides he doesn't like the West, he might decide to make a, um, a, a uh, unilateral peace deal with uh, Nazi Germany um, following the expulsion of Germany from Russia, and that would free up um, countless German divisions to be flung at uh, Western armies. Um, so there, there was always tensions there, but the, the the tensions that emerge after 1945 they don't appear out of a hole in the ground. They have um, origins in the the interwar years um, and the Munich Agreement, the um, decision to uh, abandon Czechoslovakia to its fate, um, which was taken by Britain by France, uh, Italy, and of course, Nazi Germany, that excludes Czechoslovakia's actual um, military ally, um, the, uh, the Soviet Union. The France did have a, 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 a military pact with Czechoslovakia, which is handily ignored. Um, that kind of uh, decision to exclude the Soviet Union was suspicion in Stalin's mind that something was being cooked up here and that further secret talks had been had between uh, the, the, the British and French on one side and the Germans on the other, that, um, that uh, Germany might have free reign in the East if it wanted. Whether those conversations ever happened, uh, who knows, but probably they didn't. Uh, though in Stalin's imagination, that was certainly what was the dish that was being prepared for for the Soviet Union. So um, it's there's hardly any surprise in a way that you wind up with uh, Cold War tensions after the Potsdam Conference in, in 1945 because they're just a resumption of uh, of business as usual um, after the the kind of historical anomaly of um, uh, the Grand Alliance uh, fades away with the defeat of Nazi Germany. Anyway, um, as you can probably detect, I'm very enthusiastic about this book and we'll be looking at it much, much more in the coming weeks and months. Um, thanks so much for listening um, and we'll be continuing tomorrow with a few more um, a, a few more new directions there's I have a book on order uh, radical history of Los Angeles which I think is going to be very exciting but uh, more on that later thanks so much everybody all the best bye bye do remember to check us out at www.explaininghistory.org if you can find your way to um, donate on our Patreon it keeps the podcast going it means that um, I can eat basically which is always a good thing um, 
and um, it uh, there is always uh, something interesting happening at our Facebook group too, explaining history, the explaining history uh, Facebook uh, pod, the explaining history podcast Facebook group. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye bye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.